0: Well, I am grateful to be here with you. My wife, Jody and I are grateful to be here at Harvest Peoria. We wish it was under different circumstances. I mean, this is like old hat with Tim now. Last time I was down here, he was hurting. This time, it's the same. Every time, that's the only time I get to come down is when he's sick. But I'm telling you, I'm... Um, got Jonna here and uh, Alyssa, and uh, our hearts are with you guys. And I know, uh, man, it's, it, I'm, I'm nicknaming your dad, your husband, Iron Man. Because he makes this like it's nothing. It's like routine. He's going through brain surgery. It's like, oh, there's nothing. No big deal. It's like changing the clothes or doing the laundry or changing the oil in the car. I mean, isn't it? I mean, he makes it look so simple. But I know that uh, we've been praying for you guys, and I know there's a lot happening here. So we're grateful to be here. For those of you who don't know... Um, Jody and I have known the Harknesses for over 12 plus years And uh, we're thankful I knew Tim when he was just, uh, you know, working at Tell Labs uh, Wasn't in ministry at the time as far as a vocational And then, you know, saw him just, you know, step out of the chair And join our pastoral staff And, uh, you know, John led our choir And, man, he led our adult ministries and did so much And uh, it's just exciting to see what God's doing at Harvest in Peoria Let's give it up for the glory of God, Amen So before I begin, let's do this. I'm just going to ask us all to bow our heads and let's pray for Tim and his family during this time. Father, we come before you with great thanks. And uh, thanks for a man who is after your own heart, who loves you and has committed himself to your word and your truth. I pray now for your healing hand even in this moment. I ask that you, Father, would continue to heal him, that you would restore him, that you would rejuvenate him. I know that the trial that he's enduring... I know that you have a great way of bringing great fruitfulness from difficult times. And I pray you would do that in his life. I pray that you would do it in my life as I watch how he handles this situation. I pray for the life of this church that that we would become more faithful and fruitful as a result of how we see him living his life through you. Lord, we love you. I pray for your word to go forth. I ask for you to bring us to a point of clarity today. On what it looks like to follow you if you agree with that prayer say amen all right let me do this i'm going to start with a couple questions okay question number one is simply this how do you know if that vase if that vase you know that vase do you see, how do you know if it's truly crystal i'm saying waterford crystal how can you really know if it's genuine or if it's imitation well let me give you a little secret. If you go up to it and you flick it with your finger, if it's genuine crystal, what's going to happen? It's going to give a little ding, a little ping, right? How do you know? How do you know if that ring, that diamond ring, that your fiancé, ladies, he popped the question over dinner, he gives it to you, how do you know that it's genuine and it's real and it's not cubic zirconia? You say, I'm not sure if I can know at that point. Well, grab the ring before you put it on your finger, you're probably sitting at dinner, and there's a glass of water. Just drop it in the glass of water. And I don't know if you know this or not, but diamonds have such high density that it will do what? It will fall to the bottom, and then you'll know that it's the real thing. You say, how do you know such a thing? That's what Jody did when I gave her my ring. <laughs> how do you know this? I mean, you've got a, that brother-in-law. I mean, this guy, he hadn't had a job for, I don't know how long, 15, 20 years. And this guy, he comes into your house. How do you know that watch he's wearing? He's putting it in front of your face. And look at this. How do you know if that's a genuine Rolex and not, not some cheap imitation? How do you know? Well, teach you a little secret. If you look at the second hand, and if it moves what appears to be simultaneously without ticking, it, it's probably the real thing. But here's the most important question. How do you know if somebody who says that they're a christian is really truly a follower of christ how do you know if somebody who says and they verbalize with their mouth that yeah I- i'm a fo- I- i'm a christian that's who i am how do you know if they're the real deal Well, grab a bible and open it up to first john chapter two and what i want to do is the title of the message is marked by the gospel And I want to do this. I want to give you five characteristics or five marks of an authentic follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, because I want you to be all in when it comes to the gospel. And so what we're going to do today is I want to identify these marks and I want to help do this. I want you to be assured so that you can assure others. Are you hearing me? I want you to be sure yourself, to be sure that I'm the real thing and I'm genuine and authentic in my love for God so that you can do this so that you can help assure some other people. You say, what do you mean? Well, there's a lot of people who say it, but you're not really sure if they get it. So I want you to be capable to do what? To identify and help other people to minister to them. So five characteristics, five marks. Take a look with me if you're a note taker. Go ahead and write this down. I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I'm a Christian when I do this. Because I do this. Because I trust completely. I trust completely. What do you mean? Take a look with me at chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 John. John says this. My little children... And now he's writing, he's pushing 90, so he's looking at everybody like a little kid. And he's doing this, he's referring to them, he's like this, he's treating them like what? He's looking at them like they're his grandkids or his children. He says, I'm writing these things to you. Now that's an interesting phrase, we're going to see it nine times. He wants people to be clear why he's writing to them. Well, what does he say? I'm writing these things to you that you may, you tell me, what does it say? Not sin. So he's saying this, I'm writing this to you now so that you can know and get ready for a huge response because this is the truth of the gospel and this is what it means when we trust completely in him, in Jesus, that we can do what? That we can be free from sin. Oh, you're disappointing me. That we can have victory in sin. Can I get something for that? That we can, because of Jesus and his love, that we can have victory over sin. Let's praise God for that. Amen? Amen. And he's saying, I can do this, man. You can have no sin. Now, there's a bit of a hesitancy to praise God because you say to yourself, well, you know, if you would have been following me this week, you may not, I'm not free from that. But it is possible. But look what he says. John says it to you in the middle of verse 1. But if anyone does sin, And so he's not condoning sin. He's not saying, hey, it's okay to go ahead and just sin and everything else. But he's recognizing that some sins are harder to get over than others. Would you agree? And that some things we're not free from, but that freedom can be had in Christ when we trust him completely. And so that's why he says this, that we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, that word advocate, it's interesting. You can go ahead and underline it or circle it in your Bibles. And it's only used five times in the New Testament in regards to the Greek word that it comes from. And what's interesting is all the times it's used by John, John uses it four times in the gospel that bears his name. And each time he refers to that, he uses it to refer to to the Holy Spirit. Here he's using it to refer to, to Christ, Jesus himself. What does the term mean? Well, to be an advocate means it's someone who does this. It's someone who's willing to stand beside you and speak on your behalf. So an advocate is like this. It's somebody who's going to stand the gap for you and take care of business for you and speak up for you when you can't speak up for yourself. When I was in high school, being six foot five, you may imagine I played basketball. And so basketball, I was pretty decent at it. And so my senior year, what was interesting is I kind of won all these awards and did all these things, and I, you know, led the Cleveland, greater Cleveland area in scoring. Boy, I thought you'd be impressed with that. <laughs> Neither was this group that did this. They, they got work going for the MVP for the conference, and I thought that I would get it. And, and I didn't get it. And what was interesting, this guy Paul Combs got it. And he was a junior and, uh, out of uh, another school in the area. And, and Paul got it. Because why? Because the coaches got together and they voted for who the MVP was. And what was interesting was, is that both of our names, we were either number one or number two, and they add up the score. And we were either, like, you know, you get five points for being the number one guy. You get three points for being number two. But there was one coach who left my name off the ballot completely. So I didn't get five points. I didn't get three. So I lost it. And what was interesting about that was that there was this Cleveland Touchdown Club, and they were the group that did this. They were the group that all the area conferences, they would send the MVPs to this big banquet where all the major colleges were there and there were special speakers and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm not going to get to go to this thing. And then there was a guy, a trustee from the Cleveland Touchdown Club, And what he did, he was a referee in our conference, and I didn't even know the guy. And when he saw that I wasn't the MVP from that conference, he's like, what the heck's going on? And so he gathered all the trustees together in the greater Cleveland area, and for the first time, the only time that they ever did this, they said, we're going to not listen to the coaches, and we're going to vote this guy, Ron Zappia, to be the MVP for the greater Cleveland area. Now, he did that. I'm telling you, I didn't know him. I didn't know what the situation was. And why did he do such a thing? Well... He played a role. He was an advocate for me, man. He stuck up for me. I, 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 to this day, I didn't even know who the guy was. Jesus is like that, but the stakes are so much greater. What do I mean by that? Well, he is our advocate, but look at verse two, because he says this. He is the propitiation for our sins. Let me dust off that word propitiation for a minute. What does it mean? It means to satisfy God. Yeah, this guy did this. He stood the gap for me in a situation to give me an award. But Jesus stands the gap for us of what? Of the wrath of Almighty God. And so Jesus, because of his work on the cross, because of what he's done, he allows us to spend eternity with Almighty God. And look what John says next. He says, But also, he says, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. What's John doing? Is he a universalist? Is he saying, well, everybody's going to heaven? And every single person is? No, he's not saying that. But what he's saying is that the deposit has been made. And to push the basketball analogy a little bit farther, the ball is in your court. The ball is in my court on how I will respond to what Jesus did as he paid the penalty of the wrath of Almighty God. That The Bible says that he became sin on my behalf, that I should have been the one to hang on the cross, but Jesus took my place, and all of God's punishment came onto him for my sins. That's what it means for Jesus to be your advocate and mine. And we need to respond by faith. Now take a look. Flip with me for a moment. Uh, keep your finger in First John. And let's go to a, a, a verse that you've got to have this one in your holster. It's Acts chapter 4. Turn over to Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to show you verse 12. And this is one that's definitely a verse for your memory banks. But it says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says, and there is salvation in no one else... For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus, when we trust in Him completely, guess what? He does the work. He puts us in the right standing with God Almighty. How do I know I'm Christian? Well, when I, Are you trusting in that work? Are you trusting in what He did on the cross as your only hope for salvation? Mark number two. How do I know that I'm a Christian? Well, flip back to first john and i know that i'm a christian because i follow faithfully i follow faithfully you say well, what does that mean well let's follow along in the text look at what it says in verse three and john writes this and by this we know that we have come to know him if we do what you tell me if we keep his command so write down the word obedience that's what he's talking about what does it look like to follow faithfully that i need to obey him Oh, Ron, is that what you're going to talk about? i got to do what he wants? Yep, that's it. You want to prove who you are in God, that you've got to do this, you've got to do what he asks. Obedience, good definition is this. Doing what God wants, when God wants it done, with a God-honoring smile. See that? Too often what happens, too often what happens is this. We may do what God wants, but we do it on our own timetable, and we do it like this. Isn't it true? And so obedience is this, that we would do what God wants in the time frame that He desires. And I know the truth is this, that many are sitting here and God has dispensed something in your heart. He has spoken to you through His Word. It's been confirmed by a group of mature people. And you need to take that step of faith. And so we need to obey to follow Him faithfully. But Ron... Well, what about that person? I mean, I have the desire to do that, and I get it. I don't always get it done. But what about that person that says this? They say, hey, man, I'm a Christian. And I'm telling you, they never do what God says. They say, I'm a Christian. And they're living their life in such a way where they don't care anything about God. They don't care anything about His Word. They're just like this. Yeah, what are you talking about, man? I I do what I want to do. I do what I say, and I'm the one that's in charge. Well, look what John says to that person. Look with me at verse 4. He answers the question directly. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is what? You tell me. He's a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Dirty, rotten liar. I mean, this person's a liar, and it gets worse. Look at the text, and the truth is not in him. My heart breaks for those people That's why my wife and I got into ministry after becoming Christians. I was age 27. She was 26. God called us into doing what? Into sharing His truth with others. And my heart breaks for the people that say that they get it and say that they're Christian and they don't. I remember that. And so what I want to do to you today is I want to help you to discern that you can help other people that you will understand. It's about following him faithfully. And what does that look like? Look at the end of the verse. There's going to be an interesting phrase at the end of verse 5. He says, but whoever keeps his word... And that's interesting. The Greek tense there uh, in the original language, it's not a one-time deal. It says, who keeps his word, it's an ongoing action. Like, that's the desire of my life. And and I may not do it every single time, but, but I have an attitude in my heart where I, I'm, it's progressively getting more. And I'm increasing in my ability to follow him faithfully. And he says this. He says, in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. There's the phrase. The love of God is perfected. Now, what's he talking about? John chapter 14 says this. Jesus says to his followers, if you love me, do you know the verse? What does he say? You'll do what? You'll keep my command. So how do I prove my love for God? It's that I would do what he says. And so what's happening when I do what he says is that my love for God is being perfected each time that I do what? That I follow after him and I do what he asks me to do. And I've learned, I wonder if you're like me, I've learned that when the love of God is perfected in me, that I have a greater capacity to love other people. And that it's outside of my own, on my own, by myself, I'm not going to do as much, that I have a greater capacity to love other people because of God's love for me. See, friends, it's like this. God's love is the thing that He wants to perfect in our life, and it comes through obedience to His Word. How do you know? How do you know if somebody really gets it, man? They're really a Christian. Well, look with me at what it says in verse 6. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That word abides, we're going to see it again. It's written in the Bible in the New Testament 116 times. You see that word abide. And what's interesting is that over 60 of them are from John's pen himself. So John's constantly talking about abiding. And what it means is simply this, to remain, to make your home in. Think about it like it's your address, it's where do you live. Where do I make my home? I make my home in Christ. I abide in Him. And when we do this, Christ makes His home in us. Isn't that a great truth? If I choose to make my home in Him, he will make his home in me. And what I want to do is I want to walk in the same way that he walked. How do I know I'm a Christian? I know I'm a Christian because, let me give you the third mark, I love sacrificially. So this is about love. Look what it says in verse 7. John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. Hold on, John, please. Look up here for a minute. Are you confused? (laughs) It's like, is it an old commandment or is it a new commandment? Well, it's both. And let me explain that in a minute. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So something's happening Things are changing for sure. How can it be an old command and a new command? How does that work? Well, when John's writing and saying that I'm writing you no new command, what he's saying is this. I got this 60 years ago from Jesus himself. And so when Jesus dispensed this to his followers and he told them about this love, to love sacrificially, it was what? It was a new command. If you want to write down John chapter 13 verse 34, that's when Jesus gave this command and it was brand new. So now when he's writing, he's been sharing it. And guess what? It's an old command, so to speak. But isn't it interesting? I wonder if you're like me. Anytime there's an old commandment given that I begin to do it, it's new in my life. Isn't it true? And it becomes new to me. And there was a quote that's been written by an old theologian over a hundred years ago and he says it best like this he says doctrinal Christianity is always old but experiential Christianity is always new so it's new to us that we would choose to love hey Ron can you be more specific what does it look like yeah look what John says he says in verse 9 whoever says he's in the light that's I'm following after Christ he is the light and hates his brother is still in what you tell me in darkness what he's saying is guess what if you're in the light like i'm standing in the light here today it's like it can't be dark at the same time and hatred is darkness he says in verse 10 whoever loves his brother abides there it is makes his home in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness is to not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eye. I want to suggest to you today that there's too many Christians who are blind because they're choosing to not love sacrificially. Jesus did this. I mean, the Scripture said that he loved us so, so much that he became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, and he humbled himself. And so we're being called as followers of Christ to love sacrificially. This is the number one characteristic that Jesus said when he walked this earth. How will you know if this person is mine? It's because of their love. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie that just came out, the movie Selma. And Selma is interesting. I would recommend it. I don't do that very often. Recommend a movie from up front. But it's interesting because it tells the story of Martin Luther King in a very specific time period in 1965 when he was advancing the Civil Rights Movement. So the march to get African Americans to vote took place from Selma all the way to Montgomery, Alabama. But Martin Luther King was committed to doing it not with violence and hate, but with love. And so I love this quote from him. He says, I'll stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear, isn't that true? He's saying I- I'm going to stick with love, and so that's modeling for us what we're to do in Christ is that we're having a growing capacity to love. You say, well, I- I'm struggling. Are you telling me if I- I'm struggling, you know, I kind of, you know, what this guy cut me off in traffic on the way over here, and I pretty much hate that person. <laughs> Been there. Got in an accident this week, man. Some girl just wh- whacked the back of my car, and I got out and. I said, I love you. No, I didn't. <laughs> but there's moments when, when we have thoughts, and this isn't, we're not asking these characteristics, these marks. It's not about perfection. Say, not about perfection. It's about progress, isn't it? And that we would growing in our capacity to love. And Christ gives us the opportunity for us to share His love with others. And that's what the church is all about. Not too long ago, I got a letter from my brother. It was actually an email. And what's interesting is my brother, you, you wouldn't know this, but uh, I've got an older brother and an older sister, so I'm the youngest. And um, my brother has been estranged, to say it at best, from our family. I didn't even know he was alive. I didn't know where he was. Man, I hadn't talked to him for over 10 years. Get this email. And have you ever gotten an email where it, like, it comes, and then it's, like, it's all the capital letters? And then the capital letters are all in red. Anybody ever get one of those? It's not that good. And so, I mean, he went, you know, line by line. There was a couple things like, you know, they're saying this, they're saying this, you guys did this, what's going on here, what? And I'm just like, oh, my goodness, what, what, what am I going to do? So I knew that I had to, you know, contact him. So he left his phone number, so I'm like, I'm just going to call him. Have you ever been in that place where you're just like, you know, you're calling and the phone's ringing. You don't know what you're going to say. Anybody be there? And then it goes to voicemail. Yes. <laughs> and so I stumbled through the voicemail. And then finally I got on my email and I got on my computer and I, and I, I wrote him a letter really quickly. And what I said is, hey, Ken, I got your letter. Just tried to call. Um, you weren't there, man. It's just so great to hear from you for so long. I, I just didn't know where you were. I didn't know what was happening. And I said, I just want you to know this for sure, that I only choose to remember the good times that we had. And then I began to list the good times. And I wrote this, I said something like, I said, do you remember that time when that kid, that big kid down the block broke my collarbone and you went and beat him up? and then i said how about that time when we were in dallas texas and i was too young i mean i don't even remember that was like my first memory and we're in the car and the kids are you know you me and eileen and 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 then ken you looked at me and you turned to me and you said you said ron you're adopted and i'm thinking you know say that what do you mean i'm adopted and and i'm not adopted and he said do you look like me and i said no and he said do you look like your sister she doesn't look like you and i said no and, and so my dad came back to the car and he had ice cream, you know, a thing of ice cream cones. And I looked at my dad and my first words, I don't know, I'm like, I don't know, three, four, five years old or something. Dad, am I adopted? He drops the cones. <laughs> we were all adopted. And I said, Ken, I still laugh at that story today. And then I said this, I said, I'm going to choose to remember, hey, I just want to clear this up, because I remember when you said, because my wife Jody is in the front here, and and Jody and I, we've known each other and dated since we were in high school. And so she knows my brother really well. And so Ken confided something in her, I don't know, like our senior year in high school. And he said, I want to, when I die, I want to be what? I want to be, what is it called? Cremated. And and I want my ashes to be thrown off a Harley at over 100 miles an hour. (laughs) And I'm like, Ken, you still want that? Because I, ha- I can make that happen. <laughs> I got a call from him the next day. It was like that red letter email that also said, how can you do these things when you're a pastor? It was like I was talking to a different person. His heart was melted, man. And we were on the phone for two hours. I'm telling him about a church in Seattle that he needs to go to. I mean, what changes the heart like that? Could I suggest it just simply love? And I I don't always get it. I wish I always respond like that. I don't. But when we choose to do it, God can do great things. And so the scripture that I would give you, that I would hope God could write it on your heart, if you're going through a difficult time with somebody, whether it's a family member or a friend, or even somebody here in this church, love covers a multitude of sins. Will you choose to love? It's like this, man. It's like it changes the game. It's a game changer when we love. Two more characteristics for sure. How do I know? How do I know if I really got it? How do I know if I'm a genuine follower of Christ? Well, if you're a note taker, write this down. I know that I'm a Christian because I abide continually. There's that word abide. I make my home in Christ all the time. It's, it's something I'm going after. And that's what John is talking about next. In this next section of Scripture, in verses 12 through 14, what he simply does is he identifies three groups of people. He talks about little kids, young men, and fathers. And he gives two exhortations to each group. But don't miss it. What he's really doing is simply this. He's talking about three groups of people... And he's saying those are three stages in the Christian life. So he's saying if we abide continually, guess what's going to happen? We're going to get to the next stage. So what does he say? He starts off with children. He says, I'm writing to the little children in verse 12. And he says, because this, first thing, your sins are forgiven. And so, I don't know. That's probably people who are ten years or less in the Lord where they've made a decision for Christ. And you know what? You're growing and learning about what that is. And isn't there great joy in knowing that my sins are forgiven. I don't have to carry the guilt and the weight and the shame of that sin. And I'm going to be in heaven with God for eternity, man. And then he says this. The second thing, look with me at what it says at the end of verse 13. He kind of mixes it up a little bit. He says to the children there, I write to you children because you know the Father. And so he's reminding them that you know, what, you know him and he knows you. And so, what does he say to the young men? Look at the middle of verse 13. Are you there with me? He says, I'm ready to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. So, I don't know, three groups of people. This is probably people who've been followers of Christ for less than 25 years. You're young. And he's saying this. He's saying, you know what, I, I just got to tell you something. You have overcome the evil one. You know what it takes, man, to pin the enemy to the mat. That guess what? There is an enemy in this world, and he does what? He influences us in certain ways, but you've had victory. And I know you haven't always in every match pinned him, but you know what it feels like to have victory, and I know that you can have more. How do you get more? Look at the, look at the exhortation he gives at the end of verse 14. He says, it's because you're strong. Well, how come we're strong? How come we can bench over 300 pounds? Well, because the Word of God, there it is again. Do you see that Word? It abides in you. God's Word makes its home in you. And guess what? That's the reason why you've overcome the evil one. For those who are looking to grow and take the next steps in Christ. Psalm 19 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By, by following it, by doing, by living according to the Word of God. And then to the fathers, he does this. And I don't know, in my analogy here, I'm guessing three stages of people. This is probably people who are maybe 25 years or more walking with the Lord. How many people we have in here? I've been walking with the Lord for over 25 years. Just raise your hand. It's fantastic. Look at all the people. Like that isn't even true of me. I haven't even been walking with him for 25 years yet. But look what he says to you. He says this in verse 13. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And he says it again to him. It's like John couldn't think of something else to say to the mature followers of Christ. So he said the same thing in verse 14. Because you know him from the beginning. Why'd he do that? I don't know. I think they were so strong. And for you that rose your hands, is you're doing what? You've been walking with the Lord for so long that you know what it's like to see change. And you know what it's like to live and know God. And you can't remember doing it apart from Him because doing it with Him is so right. And if we want to get to the next level, so to speak, in our faith and get through the stages, yeah, there's going to be some ups, there's going to be some downs. It is a process. But when we look at the whole thing and we look at the graph, there's a continual movement upward. How does it happen? How do you get to the next stage? How do you do it in a successful way to be a growing, maturing follower of Christ? There's no other way than abiding continually, making your home in Him. John writes in John chapter 15, he says this. He talks about abiding so much, he says that apart from me, I can do nothing. He's talking about, he's quoting Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, man, you, you can't accomplish anything with spiritual value. Can I get an amen? Last characteristic. Look with me for a moment at verse 3 of chapter 1. I'm going to jump back now to chapter 1. This is the fifth characteristic. How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, look at verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim, there it is, also to you, and that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that word proclaim, he's saying, you know what, I saw something, I heard something. What he's really saying is I've experienced something. In John chapter 1, he gives three of the five senses, and what he's saying is, is that I've experienced something, and since I've experienced this, I've got to talk about it. I've got to proclaim, i got to share. I know I'm a Christian because I share boldly. I have a desire to share boldly. What does it mean to share with boldness? Boldness is a spirit led conviction and enablement that that I got to talk about who Jesus is. I mean, I got to tell you what he's done. I got to tell you what he's done in my life. And I got to tell you what he wants to do in yours. That's boldness. The scripture says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so it's kind of like this. If I had a can of soda with me, carbonated, and I was shaking shaking it and shaking it and shaking it and shaking it and shaking it, and all of a sudden I went like this and I popped. The can, what would happen? Well, it would just spray out all over you. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He shakes us. And He shakes us. And sometimes the shaking is painful, is it not? And sometimes it's great joy that great things are happening. But that we would do this, for I cannot stop speaking about what I've seen and heard. That God's just like, He's doing something in my life where even in the midst of great pain, Pastor Tim, I'm going to tell you how good God is and how loving God is. And I'm going to worship Him because of who He is and what He's done. And that we would choose to share boldly, hey, I'm all for the four spiritual laws, it's great, but I think it'd be better if we would just do this, if we'd be committed to just sharing about what God's been doing in our life lately with the people that God has sovereignly placed around you, I'm telling you what, I bet you more people would be influenced by the gospel. True? All right, let's do this. Let's look at one more verse. You up for one more verse? This is a verse that summarizes the entirety of this letter. And what's interesting about these characteristics, I'm giving you these five marks. And John, he doesn't lay out these five marks sequentially in this book. He kind of does it what appears to be randomly, but but it's really very strategically. And so if you choose to read this letter this week, you'll see each of these marks kind of splattered around. But why does he write the book? Flip over for a minute to 1 John chapter 5. Go ahead and flip over to that for a second. And I want to read this verse to you. This is the purpose of the book. So he gives us this, and it's a great memory verse because it tells you exactly what's happening in this book. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I don't want you rolling the dice on this, man. I want you to know for sure that you're going to be with God for eternity. Like, this is something, it's not a pipe dream. It's not something, some hope or some some thought in your mind that's going to pass. Like, I want you to know for sure where you stand with God. And what are the things? The things are the marks that he has given. The things that we've gone over today. And so those are the things. I write these things that you may know. I remember a phone call that I had with a pastor in our area of a very large church. A church much different than this church and much different than the church that I pastor and that it doesn't look like this. It's much more traditional in its setting. And what was interesting is there was a a couple in our church where one of the spouses was a member at that church and then there was another spouse that was a member at our church. And so they were going through a bit of some marital difficulty and so, good thing... Two pastors got on the phone, and we began to talk. Well, well, what can we do to mutually combine and and really help this couple? Good thing. I began to talk to this man, and I began to say things like, well, do you think that that they're followers of Christ? Because I think, my guy, do you think she's a a Christian? And then he stopped me dead in my train. Well, you, you can't know. You can never know. And I said, I know, I don't know for sure. And God only knows, he sees the heart. But there's some evidences that, that would you believe. And like, I'm thinking from my angle, like I can kind of press in on the guy and he says he's a Christian and I think he is. So I think I can go at him a little bit harder. And he said, he, he just stopped me. You, you can never know. And I said, well, I know that I'm a Christian. I said, I'm telling you what, if you get a little frustrated with me and you see me in downtown Naperville and you drive your SUV up on the curb and you run me down, I know I'm going to be immediately with Jesus in heaven. That was a joke. I don't want him to do that. But he didn't get it either. And what he said was quite interesting. As I was pleading with him, you can know. He was pleading back with me saying, you can't. You can't know. So so what did I do? I I got this verse out. What about what John says? I write these things that you may know, the Son of God, that that you can't know. Silence. I want to teach you a Greek symbol. And we're going to flash it up on the screen for a moment. And what's interesting about this um, Greek symbol is that it was used in the early church. When I was in seminary, I learned about this. And what appears to be, here's a mark, what appears to look like just XP in English in Greek is very different. Somebody's thinking, well, you're promoting windows in here? What? That's I, No, I'm not doing that. But but, but what, what the X is there is chi. And what the P in the Greek language, it's, it's, it's not P at all, it's an R, it's rho. And so that symbol is, um, is, is, is the symbol that's short for Christ, Christoph. That's what the early church used as a symbol for Christ. Interesting, isn't it? So my question to you is, have you been marked by Christ? Because these are the marks. So it's interesting. I mean, what you can buy on the internet today is quite alarming. So what I bought was this branding iron. And and this branding iron, isn't it fun what you can buy on the internet? And so the branding iron, if you could see it, it has an X and a P. And so if you look at this for a moment, it, it's kind of interesting because it's been heating up here and it's red hot. And And so I'll take this piece of wood, and let me just mark it. Ooh, isn't that cool? Yeah, that's cool. That's really nice. Let's try that again. I like that. (laughs) Ooh, that's good. And it gives the symbol for what? For XP. And so just like I did this, just like I marked this piece of wood, and I seared into it. God doesn't mark us externally. He does what he marks the heart. So I'm asking for volunteers to come forward. <laughs> and so we're talking about how do I know if I'm a Christian? Well, I you know, I know this tattoo thing is really big. And I, you know what? I, I can just, you know, give me that arm. And I, let me just and, and don't you love the ones you see, you know, the small of the back? It's like, you know, just get your, you know, I'll get that thing right in the small of the back. And, and I don't know. I've always been thinking my calves aren't that big. But it'd be cool on a calf, you know, you just... But we're laughing. I mean, how do we identify ourselves? Well, it isn't an external mark, so to speak, right? It's an internal mark. It's an inward mark. And so I'm just asking you, have you been marked by the gospel? Because there's plain evidence for you to what? For you to see. And the evidence is what John writes about, and we can know. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment as we close. Have you been marked by the gospel? And sometimes the marking, just like I marked this piece of wood, there's a bit of fire because there's pain through difficulty that's happened as a result of God's grace and mercy that you had to go through some But have you been marked? If you have, I'll ask you in the quietness of your heart right now, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, what's, what's the mark that you need to work on this week? Is it about trusting Him more completely? Because John talks a lot about that. Maybe it's about following Him faithfully, and maybe there's a decision that's on your heart, in your mind right now. There's a decision regarding your future. There's a decision regarding your business. There's a decision regarding a relationship that you have that, that you need to do what God says. Or maybe it's about love abiding. That you've got to just make the decision right now in this moment that maybe you've turned your back to Him and you're coming back and saying, God, I'm yours. And I guarantee He will have you. Maybe it's about sharing. I don't know what mark that you need to work on this week. But allow God to reveal that to you right now. And if there's someone in here within the sound of my voice that's wondering to themselves whether or not they truly, they're doubting, they're wondering, I'm not sure if I know. You can settle that right now. You can make the decision in your heart to not leave this place with utter certainty that you are a follower of Christ by doing this. By admitting that you're a sinner right now before God in the quietness of your heart. Confess your sin to Him. Right now, within the quietness of your heart, you and God, just tell him that you believe that he sent his son to die in your place. God, I believe. I should have been on the cross. And God, I'm I'm confessing in this moment that you are my Savior and Lord. And Lord, I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not even sure what my next steps are. But I trust that you are who you say you are and you have paid the penalty of my sin and I am a Christian and I want to live this life. Would you begin to take residence in my heart and live it through me? If you agree with that prayer, say amen. Let's worship our King.